Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan. Grace to and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For the last few weeks, you've been going through a series called Easter in Exile, what it's like to be the church in the midst of everything related to COVID-19. We continue that series today first by hearing this word from 1 Peter, where we are told to always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in us and with gentleness and respect. Now, we should probably underline that word always, because it's tempting to think that this exhortation is on pause, just like everything else in our life, right? After all, we're in social isolation. Who are we talking to? Now, there's some truth in that. And maybe for some of you, you truly are very isolated, not having much human contact at all. And I'm sorry to hear that because that's hard. But for some of us, and I include myself in this group, even though things are very different right now, I'm still having contact with people through different means. I am still, for better or for worse, on social media. I'm still emailing students and friends and so forth. Still taking walks through my neighborhood and from a few feet away having conversations. And actually, it's been interesting lately because in my neighborhood, I've begun to see people I have not seen in almost years. Uh, the workaholics are forced to be home and walking around. And even the home buddies are sick of being home. And so they're walking around too. And so we're having conversations with new people. And it reminds us, as First Peter reminds us today, the church is still the church in mission. Now, I want to take that, the church is still the church in mission. And I want to look at the first reading for today from the book of Acts, where Luke tells us that Paul is proclaiming the gospel in Athens, the, the capital of religiosity, of, of philosophy, of culture, of art, the home of Plato and Socrates, and talking about the God and Father of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at that text through three lenses, three questions. One, why does Paul speak the gospel in Athens? Two, how does Paul speak the gospel in Athens? And three, what is the gospel that Paul preaches there? Seem like simple questions, but actually there's a lot to unpack. Luke describes this very memorable scene in Acts 17, where Paul is walking through the Agora, the marketplace, and he's looking around, and as he does so, he sees everywhere idols and shrines and altars to other gods. And it says in the text that he is provoked in his spirit. It's the feeling you get when you're on social media for more than five minutes. He's provoked in his spirit. And then he apparently takes a deep breath and has an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Now you could read that as um, Paul in his, um, sectarian small-mindedness, seeing the team polytheism scoring lots of points in Athens with these altars and shrines and idols, and, and Paul wants to score points for team Yahweh, right? No. Yahweh is not in competition with the gods of Athens. Yahweh does not stand in competition with any created thing, whether the work of human hands or the work of human culture. Paul knows that very well, he is provoked in spirit at idols for a different reason. That is not why he preaches the gospel. Paul is provoked in his spirit because he knows that idols are enslaving and dehumanizing powers. 
you know, we were created to worship and serve the creator. And in that, to find our full humanity as we reflect God's image, the God we worship into the world. The problem with idolatry is that it becomes our first allegiance to some created thing that then enslaves and dehumanizes us and then corrodes not only the image that we bear, but also everything that we touch. Idolatry is an enslaving, dehumanizing power, and it provokes Paul in his spirit. Now, if Paul were to go into a time machine and walk through our neighborhood here in Waco, Texas, or your neighborhoods in Arcadia, he won't see many idols or statues or shrines, probably. But he still might be provoked in his spirit because an idol isn't just a statue or something on an altar or a shrine. It's anything that we give our ultimate allegiance and love to, right? Anything we worship and serve with our ultimate trust. And the truth is we have lots of idols, not just in our marketplaces, but in our homes and in our hearts. Now, Paul preaches the gospel because he's provoked in his spirit about that problem. See, the gospel is a liberating word. It is a, a liberating message that restores the human being to God and to the neighbor by restoring them to the one thing that human beings can worship and serve and become by that worship who they were really truly meant to be, human beings, the image of God. That's why Paul preaches the gospel in Athens. It is an act of love. Okay, the next thing I want to focus on is how Paul preaches in Athens. There's a lot of things I could point to here. Interesting things about the text. Maybe you already picked some of them up. I mean, one of them is, this is not a long message. I mean, he's making me look long-winded for sure. Paul went on for maybe a couple of minutes, and then he's done. Now, people might have walked away laughing. Other people might have stuck around to ask questions, but nobody got bored, right? Paul just put it out there in a compact form and let it stand. He doesn't need to give every detail of Christian theology in his proclamation. Okay, but I want to I focus on another thing that happens right in the middle of his proclamation, where he says, just as your own poets have said, and then he quotes these lines from uh, Epimenides and, and from another, another poet as well, and he says, um, in him we live and move and have our being, and we are all his offspring. Now, if you were to zoom out from those lines and look at the context, you'd find that both of them are about Zeus. Is Paul equating Yahweh and Zeus? No, of course not. So what is he doing? Well, I think something like this. Paul is looking at the tapestry of Greek mythology and theology and looking for those places where he can identify some good, true, and beautiful thing. And to say, aha, this is good, true, and beautiful. I agree with this. And start from there. It's like, instead of looking at the sea of differences that surround you, to find a little island, a little place that you can say, yeah, this is something I agree with. Let's stand here together and look at the world from this place through the lens of Jesus Christ, him crucified and raised. Paul doesn't say that's what he's doing, but that's what he's doing. So Paul speaks the gospel in love, 
and he seeks common ground with the people that he is speaking to. Both very valuable points. And that, that second one isn't accidental to what he's preaching. It's actually um, very much bound up with what he says. He says we are all, all Athenian and Jewish Christian alike, all creatures of God made to bear the image of God. And so, of course, despite all the big, big, big differences that stand between us and them, me and my neighbor or whatever, there will be common ground. And we ought to look, at it, uh, look for it, seek it out and, and cherish it. And we don't want to stop there, but it's not a bad place to start. Okay. The third thing we should look at from Acts 17 and Paul's time in Athens is what Paul says. Well, I already hinted at this a second ago, but it's not like Paul gives a treatise of Christian theology. There are a lot of things in this two-minute message that Paul doesn't say, things that we think are absolutely the center of Christianity. He, he's painting a big picture with a broad brush. He's giving a, a, a story that is cosmic in scope. And that's interesting. So what Paul does is he talks about a, a creator and a creation, right? And on the other end of that um, preaching, he talks about a judgment and a judge and how these two things really belong together because the one who created all things cares about that creation, cares about you and your neighbor and everybody else. And it's broken and perverted through lots of things, a servant of sin and death because in part of idolatry. And so that judge and that judgment are also the liberation of God's good creation. And God in the beginning said, well, he looked at it with human beings at the very center uh, and said, oh, it is very good. Tov ma'od. And when Paul preaches about the judgment and the judge, it's about God's ultimate project of bringing that into being finally and forever. Now, in between these things, these poles that Paul preaches, on the one hand, uh, the creator, and on the other hand, uh, the, the coming judge, between um, God's intention from the beginning and the mission of the judge, stands the human being, created in the image and likeness of God, to, to worship and serve God and to image God into the world through our vocations. Uh, and God is so close and so near, so close to that human being that, that, that he has set the seasons and the times that they might live, that they might grope around and perhaps find him. He, Paul sets that human being right in the middle of his proclamation and then points out that that human being made in the image of God corrupts, willingly corrupts that image, that beautiful image by their willing service to idolatry. And that God that is so near, that is the, the God they were meant to image, that God that is so near that they might possibly grope out and find, they do not find that God. They willingly, we willingly bow the knee, the heart, the mind to all sorts of false gods that corrupt the image of God in us and everything we touch. It's like some kind of Midas curse, right? With the result that our marketplaces, our streets, our homes are full of the symptoms and signs of our false allegiances, the very things that kill us, that we are enslaved to, that we, that we crave, that we love to serve. 
No, Paul doesn't leave the Athenians there exactly. And he certainly doesn't leave us there. We have the full proclamation, not just the two minute beginning, right? But right at the end of Paul's proclamation in, in Athens, he tacks on this thing that seems to be an addendum, but really it's what holds the whole thing together. It's the place where Paul really stands to, to see the whole big picture that he's now painting. And that is right in the middle of time, on the other side of creation and, and judgment, Right in the middle, beside that corrupted human being, that corrupted image of God, he puts the empty tomb, right? The empty tomb. And, and, and for anyone who would ask or, or for us read his letters or hear, hear his word preached, God's word preached, we know that that's a word about the crucified and risen one. The image of God par excellence that has come into the middle of the time, not to now um, sit in divine repose and just wait to come as judge. But now, by his word, through his servants, through his people, speaking that same liberating message that sets people free from captivity to idolatry and sin and death and everything that corrupts the image of God in us to renew us and make us new by that word, by the work of the Holy Spirit, conforming us day by day to the image of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a message that we need to hear day after day, week after week, month after month. And our neighbors need it too. And so as you continue to remember that the church is still the church in mission, let's remember these things from Paul's example in Athens. We remember that he speaks the gospel in love, right? That he seeks out those places of common ground on which to stand together with the person he wants to talk to and cherishes that common ground. And finally, he sees the big picture. He's not concerned to squeeze in every detail, even the really important stuff, that'll come. He gives people a chance to hear, and if it's not their time, if they walk away, that's fine. And if they ask questions, all the better. Maybe I'll have all the answers, maybe I won't, but at least we're getting somewhere. Now, you, brothers and sisters of Christ at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan, that word, that gospel, that liberating word, that is for you. And it is also for your neighbor. God bless your speaking. God bless your interactions with each other. May God bring you back together in good time, in fellowship with one another. And until then, just remember that the church is still the church in mission. And that is a liberating word that God has used to set you free. And also he calls you to bring to your neighbor. And now may God bless our hearts and minds and keep them in Christ Jesus into life everlasting. Amen.